Hello? Who is this? Hello? This is Ann Reddy. Hello? Who's there? I'm talking. Hello? Can you hear me now? Good. Good morning, good morning. Great to see you this morning. I, I found a picture this last week of a devotional time I had, and I took a picture of my coffee and my Bible and such, and this has been a couple of years ago. I was doing my devotional time, and on the phrase, I went ahead and put a caption, kind of created a picture that said, I'm listening, Lord. And that's what we're doing today, right? We're in the straight talk. We're listening. We're saying, Lord, we're ready and submitted to whatever it is that you speak to us about today. Before you turn your Bibles to Malachi chapter 3, we'll get there in just a little bit, I want to take an opportunity to thank and, and, uh, and to notice and to uh, give appreciation to those who have served in our armed forces, our veterans that are here. Some are active service and some have uh, served previously, but would you stand up for us so that we can recognize you and show appreciation to you this morning? They're in the back, so there you go. Thanks. <laughs> Keep standing. Keep standing. If you would, keep standing, uh, the gentlemen and ladies, if you just continue to stand, because I'm going to pray over you as I pray for our military today, so continue to stand. And Father, we thank you this morning that uh, we can come before you and worship full and free and, uh, and part of what has been purchased for us as a nation because of those who've been willing to serve are not just the elections that we had this last week, but also the privilege of worshiping you, God, in whatever fashion we decide. We can come together full and free this morning morning. And so, Lord, we thank you. And I always, every time I come to Veterans Day, it's a, a day that I, I'm appreciative for several reasons. That's my daughter's birthday, and I always thank you for her life. But I also thank you for the, the countless number of men and women who have uh, demonstrated what Jesus said, which is no greater love has anyone than this, than they lay down their life for another. And Father, thank you. We pray for our men and women all over the world today. We pray safety upon them, and we can't help but pray, Lord, in these perilous days, we hear tensions all over the world, asking simply, Father, for your godly wisdom. In fact, I would say this, Lord, I pray that we'd be a nation that would honor you in our choices, whether we, whether we even realize that we're, that's what we're doing, but that, Lord, that we would honor you and that we would lift up and do what is pleasing in your eyes for your glory and your honor. We thank you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Again, thank you. Malachi chapter 3 is where we're going to headquarter today. I was reminded of a story of Ivan the Great, a Russian czar from the 15th century. The story goes he was such a great conqueror that he just got a kick out of military campaigns. In fact, it was so much so that that was really all he gave any attention to. Finally, some of his commanders and the people around him realized that he was going to die without any kind of an heir, so he needed to get married because they needed him to have somebody who would succeed him. And so they went to him and said, you need to find a wife. And he said, well, if you think that's such a good idea, why don't you go find one for me? And if you think she's great, I'm sure she'll be fine for me. And I'm putting this in, in, in modern vernacular, but that's what took place. And so they found that the king of Greece had a daughter. She was a princess of Greece. And they thought that that would be a good match. And he said, well, if you think she's that great, great, I'll marry her. And they said, there's one problem. In order to marry part of royalty with uh, the royalty of Greece, you must become a Greek Orthodox. 
And he said, okay, well, I guess I'll tell you I'll become a Greek Orthodox, but if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to do it by myself. So he had 500 of his key officers who also had to become Greek Orthodox. And as part of that, before the wedding ceremony was going to take uh, place in, in Greece, they had to be baptized into the Greek Orthodox Church. And so they got ready to go out into the water, 500 Greek Orthodox priests, 500 of the leading leaders of Russia, including Ivan the Great. And the little problem came up because they found out that you weren't able to be a warrior and still be Greek Orthodox. So they, this is a true story, they did some uh, political negotiation and diplomacy behind the scenes. And so what they decided was that as they were baptized, they simply had to take their sword hand and plunge it up into the air so that it wouldn't be baptized. And so 500 military leaders, including Ivan the Great, when they were baptized, simply took their sword, took their arm, and as they were baptized under the water, they just shot the arm up in the water so that it was called the unbaptized arm. True story, true story. Every part of me belongs to the Greek Orthodox Church, except, except. I wonder this morning if, um, if we were to look at our lives, if there might be something that we would hold out of the water. Lord, you got everything. You got everything except whatever's in this hand. Malachi chapter 3 is just such a passage. In fact, the Lord is looking at his people all throughout the book of Malachi, and he's saying, you say you love me, but you're withholding this. You, you say that you love me, but you're walking a direction different from me. You say that you love me, but your, your leadership in your families, in your nation, in your church, really don't honor me. They, they as Pastor Dan did such a great job, you're leading people to walk into a wall. You say that you honor me, but you're not honoring me in your families. You're not keeping your promises to one another. You're not even keeping your promises within your marriage covenant. And today, he begins to address this whole area that you, you say you're honoring me, but you're not honoring me with your finances. And he speaks very in your face to the people of Israel, but it's not about fundraising. And it isn't because the Lord needs the finances. It's just simply one more illustration of their hearts that are far from devoted to him. Notice what he says in Malachi chapter 3. I, the Lord, do not change, so you, O descendants of Jacob, Israel, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your forefathers, you have turned away from my decrees. You have not kept them. Return to me. And I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. Well, you ask, how are we to return? I would almost say, if I put my two cents in here, he says, well, let me give you an illustration. Will a man rob God? And yet you rob me. But you ask, how do we rob you? In tithes and offerings, you are under a curse, the whole nation of you, because you're robbing from me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing on you that you'll not have enough room for it. 
I will prevent pests from devouring your crops, and the vines in your fields will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. He uses a phrase, a concept that may be foreign to some of you, but he says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse. And he talks about tithes and offerings, how the people are robbing from God. Now, again, this isn't so much about finance as it is about surrender because God wants his people to be fully surrendered to him. And as we look at this idea of tithing, tithing really has two main truths that come out of this passage. And the first one is simply this. Tithing, giving to God, is a control issue. It's really just about control. Who's going to control my arm? Who's going to control my wallet? Who's going to control that aspect of my life? Is God going to control or am I going to control? And Scripture is pretty clear in the fact that we are simply stewards of what God has given to us. Everything belongs to the Lord. In fact, it's first sub-point under number one is that everything belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. God owns everything. You own nothing. Say this to your neighbor, would you? Just kind of get him into the feeling here a little bit. Look at your neighbor. If it happens to be your spouse, go ahead and do that. God owns everything. Say that. God owns everything. You own nothing. Now, if you're married, you know exactly that's true because you don't own anything, right? If you've got kids, you don't have anything, right? That's the way it is. But the whole idea is that everything in the world belongs to the Lord. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it and all who are in it. Everything I have belongs to God. Not just my finances, not just my house. By the way, this church is not your church. It's not my church. It's God's church. That the air that we breathe, as we just sang a little bit earlier, God has given us the very breath in our lungs and so the natural response to it is, I just want to praise him because Everything I have belongs to him. The second concept that I want you to see out of this idea of control is that we are simply the trustees of the resources of God. Scripture tells us that everything, including my children, belong to the Lord. My life belongs to the Lord. My finances belong to the Lord. By the way, not 10% of my finances, 100% of everything I have belongs to the Lord. God wants me to use and manage all of those things in the way that is most honoring and brings glory to him, period. That's the concept. So as we look at this passage, it's interesting because he, he introduces this concept that, I'll be honest, for you, when Tammy and I were getting married, she began to talk to me about this, and I never, now I'm not saying the church never talked about it, but I don't ever remember hearing about this, ever. She said, are we going to tithe? Now I had already been a Christian, and I was being discipled in generous or generosity. I was being discipled in radical generosity. Just as the Lord prompts you, give, and God was teaching me that, and I needed that because I was a stingy individual. That was one of the biggest things that God hit me with when I first came to Christ, is I realized that at the very center of this guy was this selfish guy, and I was very greedy because I never had anything growing up, so I was all about me. And so I was being discipled in how to just be spontaneously generous. But then Tammy began to talk to me about about this whole idea of tithing and I said well what are you talking about and she goes well the Bible teaches to give 10% to the Lord that's a tithe 
And by the way, I was, I just, oh, okay. <laughs> there, was not, there wasn't any jostling. There was no, no negotiations. I go, oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that's what Scripture taught. And so it's interesting because when we look at this, a lot of folks will say, well, what is tithing? Well, tithing just simply means tenth. You might be saying, okay, you're, you're kidding, right? Well, I'm not because God talks about it. But notice it's something that was established before the law. Abraham gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. God's principle, and I'm going to call it a principle, of giving and providing for ministry is 10%. He establishes that in Numbers chapter 18. And then he says, this is a lasting ordinance. Now, this is not a law because if you broke the law, you'd be put to death in the Old Testament. And so we know it's not the law, but it's a lasting ordinance. In, in other words, God says, my lasting principle for how we're going to provide for God's house is going to be by setting aside the first portion of 10%. You come into the New Testament, and oftentimes people say, yeah, but that was the Old Testament law. God never, never talks about that in the New Testament. That's not quite true, by the way. Because Jesus talks about tithing. In fact, I put it in your notes right there. It's in, uh, I gave it to you out of the Living Bible. You can look in any version you like. But it's interesting what he says in Luke chapter 11 when he's looking at the Pharisees. Now remember, Pharisees are legalistic. They're people who are, think they're righteous because of the things they do. But they tend to be people who are always looking for the loophole. Notice what he says. But woe to you Pharisees, for though you are careful to tithe even on the smallest part of your income, you completely forget about justice and the love of God. Oh, see, now Jesus is saying don't tithe. No. He says you should tithe, yes, but you should not leave the other things undone. Tithing is not a badge of honor. It's not a badge of self-righteousness. It's just simply an expression that I'm honoring the Lord and he controls my life, everything that I have. Now, as you move further into the New Testament, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, he says, remember this, whoever sows generously will reap generously. Each man, each woman, should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Turn to your other neighbor, smile at him, and say, God loves a cheerful giver, all right? If it were me, I'd say, so give, baby, you know, but we're not going to do that. No, God wants a cheerful giver. He wants us to do it with a sense of joy, and look what he says in this passage, and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. The promise he makes is just be generous. And as God provides, as you're generous with God, God knows how to give you what you need in your life and provide for you. Now, I always love the individual who comes to me and says, well, you know, <clears throat> the Old Testament was all about the law and tithing, but the New Testament's all about grace, and so we don't have to tithe. And I always say, yeah, you're right, because the New Testament teaches everything belongs to God. So if you want to give everything, that's fine. I don't care. No, never does grace ask for less 
than the law. The law said, don't commit adultery, Jesus said, but I tell you the truth, don't even think unpurely in your heart. The law says, don't kill, right? All of us who agree it's right not to murder. Just say, don't, I'm gonna, I don't believe it's right to murder. Just go ahead and say that real quick. Good. If you didn't raise your hand, we'd like to move away from you right now and don't really want to sit next to you or make you angry. No, Old Testament says, don't murder. New Testament says, don't even be angry. Jesus always calls us to a higher living. It's all about control. Calvin, when he was little, I used Calvin a lot for these illustrations, not because the other kids didn't do this, but because Calvin probably said it <laughs> out loud more than others. And uh, uh, we had some candy bars at the house, and Calvin had taken a candy bar and put it in the refrigerator, and uh, I, I might be wrong. He might have marked it. I don't remember that whole part of the story. All I know is that it was his candy bar. I looked in there, and I'll just tell you right now, if it was a candy bar, it's cold, and it's a payday or a Snickers, there's a good chance it's going in this body. I, 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 it's hard for me to say no to those. I do like those particular ones. And so I saw this candy bar, and I really don't remember doing it on purpose, but I took the candy bar, and I ate it, and he was, this has been long enough ago that he was probably seven or eight years old, and he went nuts. That's my candy bar. You ate my candy bar. You owe me 40 cents. Now, wait a minute here. First of all, we bought the candy bars. <laughs> but we had just bought him a new bicycle. And we had just bought him some clothes for school. And I had just taken out the family to eat dinner the night before. There were like eight things that I counted up that we had just purchased for him. And I bought the candy bar for goodness sake so technically it's my candy bar and I looked at him and I did the dad thing and I probably wouldn't quite overreact as much with Jackson and Porter today but I looked at him and I said no wait a minute here we bought you the bike you wanted and we got you some new clothes and we did this and we did this and oh by the way you know what I will pay you the 40 cents for your candy bar by the way you owe me this much money for the bike and you owe me this much money for your clothes and you owe me this much and oh by the way dinner tonight you can fend for yourself because it's on you and his, his reply was simply this it's okay dad you don't have to pay me for the <laughs> for the thing right but that illustration is so normal for us God blesses us. God provides for us. God gives us, God gives us the ability to work. Even the Deuteronomy says, even the ability to earn an income. God does all of this. And then we look back at him and say, but that's mine. And the Lord says, no, it, it's not yours. It's mine. You're simply a trustee. By the way, you start pouring this out into every area of your life. That my car belongs to the Lord. You know what helps me whenever there's any issues at the church? I just always remind God, hey, just remember, it's not my church, it's your church. You got a problem. <laughs> it's amazing that when you don't own anything, you can relax a little bit. It's control. The second thing we learn, and it really sticks out in this passage about, about tithing, is that tithing is really just a trust issue. Notice what he says in this passage in verse 9. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Go ahead. Test me. By the way, I'll give you a little homework assignment. 
Find any time in Scripture where God gives you permission to test him with your disobedience. Test me with your lying. Test me with your adultery. Test me with this. Test me with that. Never does God call us to test him with our disobedience, but he welcomes us to test him with obedience because testing is the same as trusting. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have room, uh, so much blessing that you will not have room enough for it. By the way, the word blessing in Scripture, a lot of times we say, Lord, bless this person, bless this person, bless me. We always think of blessing as like being this warm fuzzy that a person has. Actually, scripturally, blessing always equates to an actual activity of God. In other words, it's, it's his for his provision. In other words, it's not a, just a good feeling. It's something that God blesses us with so that we can actually be a blessing to others, whatever it is. And so he says, test me in this and see if I will not pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room for it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops and vines in your field will not cast their fruit, says the Lord Almighty. And then all the nations will call you blessed for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. Now it's interesting because sometimes, uh, sometimes people are like me, I just didn't know that that was the principle of God's word that he was teaching me. And so, so coming into alignment for me was just a matter of information. I didn't know. But sometimes we're, we, we, we're a little reluctant to test him in this because, number one, we, we think it's too good to be true. Because notice what he says. He says, test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that you will not have enough room to contain it. Now, now understand, he is primarily speaking about food because in that particular day, that is the currency of the day. But what I find fascinating is the first time in Scripture when the phrase, throw open the floodgates of heaven, do you know the first time it was ever used in Scripture? Genesis chapter 7 when God told Noah to build an ark, then he got Noah to get on the ark, and then he closed up the doors of the ark, and then what does it say? And God opened the floodgates of heaven and rained down 40 days and 40 nights. I love this promise because when God pours out blessing and when God opens up floodgates, he really opens up the floodgates. It is not a mistake that he uses the very same phrase to say, test me in this and see if, in Pastor Phil paraphrase, I don't bless your socks off. And we have a hard time believing that. That's why God says, I give you permission to test me on this. I'm going to provide for you in some way 
that frankly you'll likely not even realize I'm blessing you because that's the second one. We often think that we have very limited wealth or that God has limited wealth, which means that if I give $10 to the Lord, that's taking $10 from me. Or if I give $100 to the Lord, it's taking $100 from me. Or if I give $1,000 to the Lord, it's taking $1,000 from me. And what we need to understand about God's formula and God's math, and it's a simple concept, but it is profound. It's very simple. Here it is. 90% plus God is greater than 100% plus me. Let me say it one more time. 90% plus God is greater than 100% plus me. And it isn't just that he pours out blessing, but notice what he says he'll do in this passage. He says, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Um, the King James Version says it this way, and I will prevent the devourer. There were at least three kinds of locusts that were known in the ancient world that would come through and wipe out crops. He said, I'm able to prevent the devourers from destroying your crops. And then notice what he says again. He says, and the vine in your fields will not cast their fruit says the Lord Almighty. The word cast is the Hebrew word for miscarriage. And he says the fruit will not cast off prematurely. I was talking about uh, in the first service, um, we have several farmers in our in our uh, church, my dad, because my dad farmed and always was watching the weather and always, I pay like special attention. I just ask questions about stuff. And I've asked a number of farmers, in fact, down the road from uh, a gardener farm. And then I was talking to the Furnesses. And then I, I'm always asking about, did you get the rain today? Did you, did you get that rain? And, and then also, did you, um, uh, how's the, how's the, how's the uh, harvest? How's the, um, you know, what, what's, what's it looking like? What are the yields looking like? Farming is such an, but I always smile because it's an, it's an absolutely critical time for moisture in the summer if you're a farmer. And when and how germination takes place makes all the difference in yield. And so when he looks at them, he says, I'm able to prevent the destroyer, but I'm also able to keep the crop from maturing too quickly so that it would somehow prematurely cast off fruit and reduce your yield. Now, I don't know how in the world you would calculate that. I'm sure some of you have an app for that, and some of you can do that. But what I love about this is that God says, I can bless your socks off, but I also have a way of providing for you in ways that you may never notice in your checkbook. You may never see it, but I can do it. I can get you the favor in the workplace. I can give you the sickness is going to allow, your, your, your health is going to allow you to work a little bit more. You're going to be able to do this. Ways you can, in fact, it becomes for me, I don't even try to keep track anymore. 
Because I feel like I would be dishonoring God if I tried to count all these things up. I would be like David when he counted all the men for the, for the census so he'd know whether or not he should go, into, to, uh, go to war. And he wanted to know how many people he had that could fight for him. And God said, man, you've dishonored me. And it wasn't because we shouldn't ever take a census or we should never count people. It's that God was saying, just trust me. And we could stop the service right now. In fact, we could just hear testimony after testimony after testimony. As one man said, he said, there are many people who have left the church over the years, but he says, I've never known a person who began tithing that stopped tithing because they have watched how God's favor has been upon them. And that's not the reason you do it, right? That's not, you don't want to have the wrong motives. You don't want to be a Pharisee, but it's just simply... What is it one guy said is that we shovel it over to the Lord and the Lord shovels it back to us and, the, and God has a bigger shovel. Or as he said to David, um, honor me and I'll honor you. But he says, test me in this. Go ahead, test me. But don't test me with your disobedience. Test me with your obedience and watch how I provide for you. Number three, I think sometimes the reason that we're reluctant to do this is we've seen it abused. We've seen the guys on TV make promises they should never promise. In fact, if you ever hear a guy talk about, you know, give whatever to whoever and God will give you a new car, can I just tell you, you turn off the TV or go to a different church for goodness sake. Because that is the worst. I mean, isn't it interesting we're talking about generosity to God and yet we exhibit some of the, the most selfish motives, right? That, that's a selfish motive. God just says, it's real simple. Sow a seed, reap a harvest. God knows how to do it. So how do I do this? How do I start this journey, especially if I've never been on this journey before? I had a guy one time um, who was reading through the Bible. I was meeting with him once a week just to talk to him about faith. He brought it up. I never brought it up. And he said, what does this word mean? And I said, well, this is what it means. He just goes, I can't do that. And I said, I didn't tell you you had to. Seriously, this is not about me and you. This is about the Lord. Whatever the Lord is speaking to you about, each person should decide in their own heart what the Lord is instructing them to do. But let's just assume the Lord is saying it's time to take a journey in this area. What should I do? Well, number one, check your motives for doing this. Remember, I, I don't want to be a Pharisee, so, so I want to I make sure that it's simply out of a desire to honor the Lord, out of obedience, but it also is an opportunity because the Lord tells me I can do this. It's just simply, Lord, I'm going I'm to test, I'm going to trust your promises. But it Let's just put these together. I think they're in your note sheet, so I don't have to probably do them all. But number one, I'm going to make it a fair test, which means that <clears throat> I'm going I'm to establish a period of time, 90 days or a year or whatever it is, that I'm going to begin just simply making a sacrificial gift, whatever we think that is, whatever the Lord leads you on that. But I'm going to honor the Lord, and I'm going to set that aside, and I'm going to make that a disciplined, generous gift to the Lord. But make it fair. I, a, a day is not a good testing on that, and a, and a week is not. So make it a period of time. Number two, bring the rest of your finances into biblical alignment. In other words, <clears throat> I'm going to give to the Lord here, 
but I'm going to dishonor a pledge or a covenant that I already made with somebody by not paying what I owe them. No. No, Scripture says that if we have a debt, you pay the debt. And so I want to make sure I'm not, remember we do that in fasting. They, he said, you're fasting to the Lord, but then you're dishonoring the Lord in this other way. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to begin to bring all of my finances, the way that I look at business, the way I look at it, I'm going to bring that under alignment as well during this time. Number three, I'm going to begin to weekly or bi-weekly or however you decide to do it, make a sacrificial gift. I'm going to use that term, sacrificial gift. You know God knows what sacrificial is. Number four, trust the Lord and begin. And then number five, test the promises of God. Evaluate it. And I've done this over the years. Um, I got to admit, I didn't ask the, the leadership this time, but I know my wife well enough to know that we would back it up if the leadership didn't want to. After 90 days or a year or however that is, if, if you have given sacrificially and faithfully to the Lord and you don't believe the Lord has somehow provided for you, he hasn't blessed you, whatever that looks like, give your money back. Seriously. You're saying, well, Pastor Phil, how can you back that up? I'm not. The Lord is. I'm not, I'm not making you a promise. He did. And if God can't keep his promise on this stuff, then why should I believe that God can keep any other promise? See, there's a lot of areas of our life that God says, I want you to trust me. There's all kinds of areas that we're, we're kind of like that. We just hold the sword up out of the water, right? But I will tell you in my life, this is probably the, the biggest, first, and most powerful area of my life that God began to speak to me about is that he wanted Phil to just simply reflect the character of the Heavenly Father by having a generous heart. And I will just, this is just me. This is not for you. This is me. When I find myself trying to get stingy or if I try to like get real specific, like, okay, um, even, on, on, even on giving tips, if I'm like, well, you know, a tip on that would be $4.32 and I'm kind of finding the change. I, I find the Lord just challenges me and said, quit being so stingy, bless them. So I find the same to be true with the Lord is that when I start getting that way, the Lord just says, you know what? Give another hundred. Give another fifty. Just, just be generous. And I will just tell you, my testimony would be the testimony of hundreds of other people. I've never found the Lord didn't keep his end of the promise. Trust me. Let's pray. Father. Thank you so much. I, I thank you for your word. And uh, you know what I find in scripture that's really interesting to me? Holy Spirit, you tend to start with the general and then you, you move a little bit to the specific and you move from the corporate down to the personal. 
I, I find that you're often talking to we, but then you end up talking to me. And so as the Lord is speaking to you today, test me. Take a step. I promise God knows how to bless his people. Thanks, Father. I would dare say this is one of the big, there's a reason Jesus spoke about finances and treasures, 16 out of his 38 parables. And while there's over 2,000 verses in scripture about this, because this is an area, and let's face it, in our culture, in our country, this is, this is huge. You want to be Lord over every area of my life. So thank you, Father. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.